You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. An illicit market in account restoration, resilience in the cyber workforce, new post-exploitation techniques in Amazon Web Services, incursions into Norwegian government networks went on for four months. Rob Boyce from Accenture Security describes a perfect storm in the dark web threat landscape. Carol Terrio shares mental health social media warnings for teens. And the Russian legislation seeks to reduce or eliminate online privacy. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023. Being banned from any platform is unpleasant. It can seem arbitrary or unfair. And it's often either beyond the possibility of appeal or can be appealed only at considerable cost in time and expense. It's a particularly troublesome experience for third-party sellers in the Amazon marketplace who face a loss of income in addition to simple inconvenience. A market has grown up in which brokers offer assistance in restoring banned sellers' accounts. They often do so, however, illicitly. CNBC reports that the brokers frequently work by offering kickbacks to Amazon insiders who take advantage of their position to override bans. Amazon isn't alone. Other large third-party markets are facing similar problems, but Amazon's size makes the problem particularly evident. Christy DiStefano, an Amazon spokesperson, told CNBC, There is no place for fraud at Amazon, and we will continue to pursue all measures to protect our store and hold bad actors accountable. In addition to account restoration services, company insiders have also been found selling internal data, the better to help third-party sellers game the company's system to better position themselves for success in the online market. Immersive Labs has released its Cyber Workforce Benchmark Report, noting significant improvements in response time to cyber incidents. The report notes organizations' median response time to emerging threats improved by one-third, indicating a significant increase in the speed of response and continued progress compared to the year prior. Enterprises have enhanced their knowledge about newly discovered threats and vulnerabilities 
enabling them to respond more rapidly than ever before. The researchers point to the Log4J crisis as a watershed moment that could well have been a catalyst for this urgency given its catastrophic impact on organizations around the world. Mitiga has published a report looking at a new potential post-exploitation technique in AWS. The technique involves running AWS's System Manager agent as a remote access trojan on both Linux and Windows machines, controlling the endpoint using another AWS account. The researchers explain... The SSM agent, a legitimate tool used by admins to manage their instances, can be repurposed by an attacker who has achieved high-privileged access on an endpoint with SSM agent installed to carry out malicious activities on an ongoing basis. This allows an attacker who has compromised a machine hosted on AWS or anywhere else to maintain access to it and perform various malicious activities— Unlike using common malware types, which are often flagged by antivirus software, using an SSM agent in this malicious manner allows the attacker to benefit from the reputation and legitimacy of this binary to cover their tracks. Cato Security has published its 2023 Cloud Threat Findings report, finding that SSH is by far the most commonly targeted service by cloud-focused threat actors. The report states... Since SSH is a protocol used across the Internet, not just in cloud infrastructure, this statistic is unsurprising. SSH allows secure communication between clients and servers and is typically used for server administration. This often means that SSH servers are Internet-facing and can pose an easy target if inadequately secured. The researchers also found that botnet agents are the most common form of malware targeting cloud services, stating... The vast majority of observed traffic is dedicated to spreading common botnet families. These include Mirai, XOR DDoS, and IRC Bot, a generic name for botnets making use of the IRC protocol. It's worth noting that samples categorized as Mirai may actually be one of the many existing variants of this malware. Investigators have concluded that a cyber espionage campaign against Norwegian government networks lasted four months before it was detected and action taken to stop it, Bloomberg reports. The effort, generally attributed to Russian intelligence services, exploited a now-patched vulnerability in Ivanti Endpoint Manager Mobile. Yesterday, CISA and the Norwegian National Cybersecurity Center released a joint cybersecurity advisory on the incident. The advisory, which includes extensive advice on detection, remediation, and prevention, says... Mobile device management systems are attractive targets for threat actors because they provide elevated access to thousands of mobile devices, and APT actors have exploited a previous mobile iron vulnerability. Consequently, CISA and NCSCNO are concerned about the potential for widespread exploitation in government and private sector networks. And finally, Torrent Freak, writing with outrage, describes a bill signed into law by President Putin on Monday. Federal law number 406-FZ will prohibit foreign email systems, and it will require all domestic platforms to verify the identity of all users by government-approved methods. VPNs aren't banned outright, but the VPN services remaining in operation in Russia are compliant with state regulations and afford little, if any, anonymity or privacy. Attempting to evade identity verification requirements will be risky, 
as the new laws criminalize preparation to make such attempts. Posting information online that amounts to advice on how to use VPNs, Tor, and similar tools for circumvention purposes will be considered a crime. On top, regular hosting providers will be subjected to state registration and new obligations along similar lines to those imposed on VPN providers. The law is an example of what foreign policy calls Russia's return to its totalitarian past. Information control, censorship, and draconian suppression of dissent are becoming the norm. Coming up after the break, Rob Boyce from Accenture Security describes a perfect storm in the dark web threat landscape. Carol Terrio shares mental health social media warnings for teens. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. If you have a teen, and I do, chances are you are concerned about how much time that teen spends online on social media platforms. Carol Terrio has been looking into the mental health of teens on social media platforms. She files this report. In mid-May, the American Psychological Association, the APA, issued sweeping recommendations intended to help teens use social media safely. This was the first guidance of its kind. 
And just a few weeks later, the Surgeon General for the United States warned of an urgent public health issue regarding social media usage and youth mental health. The U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek H. Murthy, called for more research to determine the extent of mental health and its impact on young people including the type of content generating the most harm, societal factors that could protect youth, and ways in which social media can be beneficial. Quote, to date, the burden of protecting youth has fallen predominantly on children, adolescents, and their families. The entire burden of mitigating the risk of harm of social media cannot be placed on the shoulders of children and parents. Unquote. Yes, yes, and yes. It has fallen on parents to manage, and from what they tell me, it is as thorny as a prickly pear. On one side, as a parent, your job is to keep your kids safe, and being able to see where they are and be contactable is a pretty big component of safety. So what do you do? You give your kid a phone. But then there's the whole manner of the content available, the entire digital world at their fingertips, including the socials. Cited reasons as to why social media is not good for kids are numerous. They interfere with social work and grades. They're addictive. They increase anxiety and depression. They interfere with sleep. They can expose kids to inappropriate content. The Cleveland Clinic says that it can also impact daily behaviors and moods, with kids perhaps showing signs of increased irritability, increased anxiety, and even lack of self-esteem. So the U.S. Surgeon General called on social media companies to prioritize safety and privacy in their product designs and ensure minimum age requirements are enforced. For example, most social media platforms have a minimum user age of 13, which Murthy says he believes is too early for kids to be on social media, describing the age as a time when kids are developing their identity and sense of self. So until regulations catch up, what is a parent to do? Psychologists say that adolescent brain development starts around age 10 and continues through early adulthood. The APA cautions that sites that use like buttons and artificial intelligence to encourage excessive scrolling may be dangerous for developing brains and recommends limiting social media on these types of platforms through phone settings. And in addition to the limits, the APA strongly encourages ongoing discussions about social media use and active supervision, especially in early adolescence. Parents are encouraged to model healthy social media use, including taking social media holidays as a family. I am not a social media addict, thank the lords, but many of my friends, including those with children, are. And it may be time to put that phone away when the kids are around. I know, I know. This was Carol Terrio for The Cyberwire. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Robert Boyce. He is Global Lead for Cyber Resilience and Managing Director at Accenture. Uh, Rob, it's great to have you back. I, I want to touch today on some work that I know you and your colleagues there at Accenture are doing when it comes to some things you're tracking on the dark web. What's going on here? Yeah, thanks, David. First of all, it's always a pleasure to be here. So thank you again for hosting me. 
uh, yeah, we, we've actually been seeing a really interesting uptick in the uh, focus uh, of threat actors in OT systems. You know, and I think OT systems have you know, long been vulnerable to cyber attacks, and we've known that, and we have seen some very focused attacks in the past. Uh, but you know, quite honestly, the majority of OT impacts we see today uh, are usually uh, a leakage from an IT incident or you know, some self-imposed um, shutdown due to uncertainty of what an IT incident uh, may, ha- may cause to an hmm. OT environment. Um, and so we've never, you know, and I would say maybe even before 2021, right, when we saw the Colonial Pipeline uh, disruption, we saw threat actors really stay away from crossing the line into national critical infrastructure and oil and gas uh, due to potential, you know, what, what it could mean, uh, you know, in, in the state of, you know, real potential warfare. Um, and then uh, when we actually saw that event happen, because there was so much focus on this area, we saw a lot of dark web marketplaces take down uh, their OT uh, tools and advertisements and, and things that they were talking about because they just didn't want to have that focus. It was just too but much then, heat? I think a little bit too much heat. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then what we saw uh, starting really when the Russian-Ukraine conflict happened is those rules started to go a bit out the window. And so, you know, our team has, who has been researching this, we've seen a significant uptick really around into May this year, where we're seeing more and more threat actors on the dark web start talking about uh, targeting OT systems. And really, OT systems of Western national critical infrastructure, uh, as well as oil and gas. That's been the focus. And when we say targeting, what, what exactly are, are we talking about here? They're looking to buy access into these environments. They're looking for people who are creating exploits within the OT infrastructure or OT systems so that they are able to, you know, of course, successfully be able to cause disruption. I think the thing that's really fascinating to me here is we're seeing, this is one of the first times I've seen this, where we're seeing three different ideologies really have motivations in this space, meaning, you know, we're seeing hacktivists, of course, want to be able to target OT systems to, you know, maybe make headlines in a meaningful way by causing, you know, national disruptions. Uh, We're seeing financially motivated cyber criminals get into the space, just, of course, big surprise for money. Uh, And and as as we see more and more um, requests or more and more demand, you know, obviously there's more interest for these financially motivated criminals to be able to produce um, you know, produce uh, materials, uh, assets that, that can help further exploitation in OT environments. And then we're seeing, of course, the political motivated um, threat actors. And this is largely, as you can imagine, representing Russia against all enemies of Russia. That's the most popular we're seeing there. Uh, but it's been, it's been quite interesting to see these three ideologies, for one of the first times I've seen, all come together with a singular mission, but for different purposes. And is it... If- Kind of coincidental that that those th- three different directions are confer- converging. I don't know if it's coincidental. I, I really, again, I do think that the Russia-Ukraine conflict has opened the door to, uh, I want to say, encourage this behavior, but to to make it not as to make it more acceptable, right? Like, so I I feel like, the, and a lot of it is in terms of you know hacktivists again targeting Western, primarily Western national critical infrastructure as well as oil and gas to, it, it, to, because of, you know, in support of uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, and then, of course, the, the, the political motivations similar. And, and, you know, and when you have financially motivated criminals, I think they just follow the money, right, where the demand is. So 
I, I don't know if it's is, is coincidental. I think it's just all of the right reasons came together to really create almost what we would say is a perfect storm of opportunity for these three groups. Yeah. So based on what you all are seeing here, what are your recommendations for those folks who are responsible for OT security? Great question. And this has been uh, quite honestly a a challenge we've seen in industry. I think there's been this um, false notion that attackers will not be as successful in OT environments because there's this concept of logical and physical separation, which we now know, well, even if it was ever true, I'm not sure, but we now know is definitely not true because we're seeing that leakage from IT to OT consistently when we see the disruptions in OT today. And as well, like there's a huge investment that needs to be made by threat actors to maybe even purchase physical equipment to try and find uh, vulnerabilities within that equipment. But now that these threat actors are so well-funded, that and the equipment's much more readily available, even that is reduced the barrier to entry uh, for the, for interest here. So, you know, the first thing I would say is organizations who have a large OT footprint, especially again in, you know, national critical infrastructure and oil and gas, need to understand that the threats to the OT environment are the same as the threats to the IT environment. And I always find it interesting because the OT operators, they measure their business in terms of minutes sometimes uh, of as far as, you know, downtime is it a direct correlation to impacted revenue loss. And, and so, you know, the way that they think about OT, they think about it more from resiliency, from uptime, uh, human safety. Uh, and so what we find works very well is to create those same themes from a security perspective and start to educate um, the OT operators on why cyber risk is this, is a very similar risk as that you would see and how it directly impacts resiliency and uptime and revenue. And so I guess, again, going back to your question, in the spirit of like, it's, it, it's, it just needs to be a, a business objective to secure OT uh, and the risks there need to be understood clearly. And the messaging of the importance of cyber really needs to be framed up in a way that the OT owners and operators will understand and how it correlates to the impact of their business. All right. Well, Robert Boyce is Global Lead for Cyber Resilience and Managing Director at Accenture. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. 
We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire.